and good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all and uh, to have this time together around God's Word. Before I get into that, I, I want to reiterate something that was shared earlier in the service that um, November 11th, we're having an all-church gathering. And we have tried for some time to figure out how could we have all of our campuses together in one place. We've tried to figure out a venue to do it and all that. We just can't figure out how to pull that off. But a Sunday night, uh, we can. And so on the 11th, we're going to have all, you know, all campuses invited. It's going to, you know, campus leadership will be there. It's going to be a worship service. We're going to have a chance to fellowship afterwards, hear some stories of what God's doing in different, um, our different campuses. And so it's going to be a great night. I want to encourage you to just kind of plan on coming November 11th. It starts at 6 o'clock. And I think it'll be a great kind of time for our, our church community uh, together. I also thought I would mention to you, some of you I know are, are Purdue fans, and uh, they were victorious last night over the, the hated Ohio State Buckeyes. And if you watched the game or if you watched uh, some of the feature stories, then you probably know who Tyler Trent is. He was featured on ESPN, a uh, young man, student at Purdue with cancer, huge Purdue fan. He was like the fan of the week, and if you watch the game during the broadcast, they kept going up into the booth that, you know, kind of showing him he's in advanced stages of cancer. Uh, but he and his family attend my, my old church, College Park Church, and are Christians, and uh, College Park has really been rallying around Tyler for quite some time, but God seems to be giving him quite a platform right now, national platform. I read an article about him on USA Today uh, this morning. So if you'd happen to remember the Trent family and pray that God would give them grace and uh, use this national platform for gospel testimony, which I believe is their, their heart and their desire, Tyler Trent. Well, I'm not a big fan of Halloween. Never really been a big fan of Halloween. I've got a number of reasons I'm not a big fan of Halloween. Now, just saying that is like to some of you is like a, some kind of heresy already. Uh, but uh, and I, I'm comfortable placing participation in Halloween in the Christian liberty category. That doesn't mean that I can't have a personal opinion on the matter. And I'm just not a big fan of Halloween. I, I guess I don't. I don't know why we celebrate death and dismemberment in our in our culture. I mean, if you're going to celebrate death, okay, make it a holiday, pass out candy, whatever, all right? So that's what we do. Uh, so I'm not a big fan of Halloween, but one of the things about this time of year is that you have the presence, often in decorations on family uh, homes and yards, uh, involving zombies. Zombies. Are you familiar with zombies? I'll bet you drove by four on your way to church today. Okay, these are... Larger than life, human figures that they, they were dead, but now they're not dead anymore. But they're not like fully alive either. They're like in this in-between state where their body looks somewhat dead, but kind of alive. Uh, they are able to walk, although slowly. That's the rule. If you're going to be a zombie, you must walk slowly. Uh, you, they make sounds, grunting noises, mostly. And apparently have access to large cutlery uh, and are often featured with large cutlery. So these are zombies. They are, they're not dead, but they're not really alive 
either. They are zombies. Now I'll get into why this relates to our text here in Romans 6 <laughs> later in the message. Uh, but what we find in Romans 6 is that Paul describes Christians as individuals who spiritually were dead, all the way dead, and now spiritually are all the way alive. They are fully alive by God through regeneration, made this way. And this is the, the point of our message today and where we're going uh, here in Romans 6. Not an easy passage of scripture. The whole chapter is not an easy passage of, of scripture. In fact, to give you an idea, one of my heroes uh, is a guy by the name of uh, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a pastor in England, great preacher of the last century. And when he was in his prime, he was asked, why haven't you done a series on Romans yet? And he said, or no, he was asked, when will you do a series on Romans? And he replied, when I understand Romans 6. What chapter are we in now? Romans 6. So this is some challenging uh, scripture, but some wonderful truths, and indeed some of the richest in all of the Bible, once we get what, it, what Paul was really wanting to say. So quick review. Not all the way back in Romans, but most recently in Romans, we have seen that salvation is utterly of the grace of God. There is nothing that we contribute. There is nothing that we add. There is nothing that we do. It is all accomplished by God through Jesus Christ. God declares us righteous. Are we righteous? No, we're not righteous. But he declares us to be righteous. This is known as justification, where God declares us righteous, as righteous as his son Jesus, and promises to treat us that way forever. It's a wonderful, wonderful doctrine, and part of how God saves us from the penalty of sin. We are saved by grace. It is his work in our life. But how did God accomplish it? And what we saw last week is what I called the best doctrine you've never heard of, the doctrine of union with Christ. That how God accomplished this is that when Jesus died on the cross, spiritually, the sovereign God placed us right there with him on the cross. So that Paul writes, when he died, we died. When he was buried, we were buried with him. When he stepped out of the grave in newness of life, we stepped out of the grave with him. We are in union with Jesus and specifically his saving works, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, what we find before us here now, beginning in verse 6, is Paul talking more about the implications of this and continuing to answer the question, can a Christian view sin as, an, the grace of God as excuse to sin? If I'm saved by grace then, and God's glorified by his grace, well, then why not sin epically? Why not sin royally? Why not sin as much as we possibly can. And to this Paul writes now, beginning in verse six, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has, been, who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no longer any dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in, there's union, 
in Christ Jesus. May God bless his word today. Amen. Now, I want us to focus on that last verse because it's clearly where Paul is going here. This is what he wants us to get out of the explanation in the previous verses, verse 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So you also must consider yourselves, the old King James, reckon yourselves. And what this is getting at is is a a self-identity. For me to view myself and to see myself as being essentially dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Now this is not some kind of mind game. And I don't want you to get from this somehow that I'm suggesting that you wake up in the morning and before you go out in your day, you just say, you know, you repeat it again, dead to sin, alive to God, dead to sin, alive to God at least a dozen times and then go out and live it out. That's, this is not a mind game. What Paul is doing here is stating a fact. If you are a Christian, you are in fact dead to sin and you are in fact alive to God. We don't mind game this. We don't pretend this and hope it's true. It is true if we are in Christ. The sinner in union with Christ is dead to sin. I am am dead to sin as my primary identity. I am dead to sin as my primary motivation. I am no longer bowing to sin as my master. It is no longer my king. I, I am not a follower of Darth Lord Sin. Why? Because when Jesus died for my sin, I died to my sin. When Jesus died for my sin, because I was with him, I died to my life and self-identity being entirely wrapped up in sin. Likewise, when Jesus was raised to life, I was spiritually raised with him. When he stepped out of that grave in newness of life, I stepped out with him. Which means that, as a Christian, I am not only dead to sin, I am also now alive to God. I have been made alive, spiritually reborn. As Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. What did he mean by that? you got to be made alive again spiritually to God and the things of God, to salvation and the gospel. So we see in this, then, that Even before we were alive, even before you existed, even before you had ever sinned one time, the sovereign God was setting about things in motion in order to save you from your sins, if you are a Christian here today. 2,000 years prior to your existence, there is God working to save you by uniting you with the work of Jesus on the cross. Now in this we find, of course, that Jesus defeats Satan's primary weapons. What's his primary weapons? Sin and death. We saw that in the Garden of Eden. He got them to sin, and therefore they're going to die. And as sinners, this is, this is the weapon that, Jesus, or that, that Satan wields against us. But on the cross, he defeats sin. In the resurrection, he defeats death. The primary weapon has been defeated. To put it in terms that you might understand, the death star has been destroyed. The ring has been thrown into the fires of Mount Doom. The white witch's wand has been broken and Aslan is on the move. The hills are again alive with the sound of music. (laughs) Do I need to go on? You're kind of with me now, right? 
Oh, now we get it, Pastor Steve. Okay, great. Okay, Dead to sin, alive to God. And what I want to do is I want to tackle this portion of Scripture with that basic paradigm and to show how we progress or we are to progress in that paradigm. But let's talk, first of all, about the unbeliever or the you and me prior to Jesus. Are we prior to Jesus, dead to sin and alive to God? No, we're the opposite of that. Prior to Christ, we are alive to sin and we are dead to God. And Paul describes it this way in verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now notice in this, the description of the natural us apart from the grace of God. Look at the language he uses, old self. Body of sin, enslaved to sin. Okay, these are all describing what, for a human being, it's like to be alive to sin, to be living with sin as your master. Our natural selves are not alive to God. We come out of the womb alive to sin. That's why we don't have to teach our children how to sin. They're very good at it just naturally. They come out of the womb like pre-wired to sin. If, we, if at our church we had classes like, you know, how to make the most of your sin, five great ways to give in to temptation, you know, things like this, you'd be like, well, I have classes like that. I don't need to be taught how to sin. I'm really good at it naturally. Why are we really good at it naturally? Because we come out of the womb alive to sin. We are wired for sin. Our very nature is inclined to bow before sin as our master and through sin, Satan, of course. Our Lord, we don't have to learn how to sin. Now this is not to say that unbelievers always sin or that unbelievers can't do righteous and good things because we all know many who do and many who do a great deal of that, wonderfully so. Why do they do that? They do that because they are made in the image of God. God made them moral beings. We saw in Romans 2, God placed a conscience within every single one of us, so an unbeliever, even a dead to God and alive to sin, will still do righteous things and, and be philanthropic and you know, be nice to old ladies crossing streets, etc. However, unbelievers sin because it is their very nature to sin. It is their nature to sin. There is no spiritual life not the kind that Paul's talking about, in an unbeliever, none. There's no Holy Spirit within them animating righteous living. There is no new nature in Jesus. So sinners sin by nature and sin by choice. And that was us before Christ, okay? So we're not throwing any stones here that we don't throw at our own selves this is all of us. We're all in the same boat apart from the grace of God. One of my favorite commentators says it this way. Unbelievers do not possess freedom to choose the contrary. Unbelievers do not have libertarian freedom. This does not mean that sin is forced on them against their will. It means that they invariably choose to sin because sin is the circumference of their desires. Believers have been liberated from such slavery to sin and are now free from its clutches. Now, I love it when I read the Bible and it perfectly describes the world that I live in. 
And does this not describe the world that, that we live in? I mean, what do you get when you put 7 billion sinners on one planet and they're all living next to each other? You get the world that we live in. You get the brokenness, you get the violence, you get the war, you get the racism, you get the hatred, you get all the things that are so common that we, hard, we think it's normal, right? What is in the front page of the paper nearly every single day? Stories of embezzlement, rape, divorce, drug addiction, murder, death. I mean, living this close to Chicago, it's like every weekend, 25 more people shot this weekend in Chicago. It, we get numb to it. Like, you hear that and you're like, oh, again? Okay. 25 people shot. Sometimes, you know, 75 people shot. <laughs> the world needs the light of the gospel. <laughs> Chicago needs... Jesus, who is the light of the world. Amen. When it's not things like that, it's things like this in the paper. Things like people pursuing power, wealth, possessions, pleasure, fame. Sinners made for God trying to derive meaning from something other than God. Huge advertisement suggesting that if you have this, do this, now your life will be happy. This is the world that we live in, right? Why is it this way? Because the world is dead to God and alive to sin. I mean, just to give you a, a contemporary example of this, here we are, what, two weeks away from the next election cycle in our country. And this is one of the crazier election cycles that I have been a part of. And I, some of you are older than me, but I've been around long enough. I've been through a fair number of election cycles. This is a crazy one, isn't it? People yelling at each other, hating each other, screaming at each other, being violent against each other for political reasons. Have you ever thought, stepped back and thought, why do people act this way about politics? To understand, when you are dead to God, all you have left is government. All you have left. And here we have now the old, ancient struggle of mankind that thinks we can fix our own problems. If only we had the right government, the right person in place, then all our problems go away, which is a lie. Tower of Babel taught us that lie. Government can't save us. Democrats can't save us. Republicans can't save us. It is only Jesus Christ that fixes the problem of the, of the human condition, this world that we live in today. So I'm encouraging you, view the world that you live in through the grid of what the Bible says is true, and it affirms that what the Bible says is true. This is mankind apart from God. And of course, so many other systemic ills in our society today so many people bowing to Lord's sin in this way or that around us. And experiencing the painful consequence. And what is the consequence of an image bearer living for something other than God? Loneliness, emptiness, meaninglessness, and a host of other things. This also the world that we live in. Why? Because we weren't made to be alive to sin and dead to God. We were made for something far better. And God's mercy and his love for us takes us from our condition into something far better. He sets us free. 
from enslavement to sin. How? Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Jesus, friends, Jesus died. He died that our sinful self and that whole way of living and even our bodies, these, he's going to call it later in Romans, these instruments of unrighteousness, because most of the sinning that we do, we do with this body in some way, my tongue, my hands, my you know, brain, whatever it is. I use this body to sin, this body of sin, that all of it might be brought to nothing, made impotent, made irrelevant to us, no longer enslaved to sin, but emancipated from sin, to freedom. Look at verse seven. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And all Paul does here, he just makes the very plain observation that dead people don't sin anymore. Dead bodies don't sin anymore. If we all got on a bus and drove to a local cemetery and I looked out at them and I, I said, okay, how long has it been since these bodies sinned? We all would say, well, I guess they haven't sinned since they died. That's the point. That's the point. To die is to be set free from the bondage of sin. So where is Paul going with this? Paul wants the Christians to realize that as a Christian, so many things have changed, but one fundamental change is my entire relationship to my previous way of living, my previous deafness to God, my previous aliveness to sin. Something has fundamentally changed. Why? Because when Jesus died for my sin, I died to my sin. I was on the cross with him. And that change is that in Christ, we are now the opposite of that. We are now dead to sin and alive to God. Look at verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Where does, where does Paul go? He returns to union with Christ. And he reminds us, what did Jesus do? He died. He was raised back to life. We were in union with him. And since we were with him, we also will live with him. This is union with Christ. Best doctrine you've never heard of. Now you've heard it for a week. <laughs> now if you're struggling with union with Christ, I've got another illustration. So we recently, our family, maybe like yours, we, we got all these orchards, you know, around that you go to, and we did our, our annual, annual fall trip to the orchard, okay? Annual tradition, annual ripoff. <laughs> but worth it because of the cute pictures that you get to take in front of the various things at the orchard. It's so sweet, it's so nice, it's so expensive. So we went to uh, one of the local orchards, and we took this picture, okay? Okay, there you go. Admire. Admire. Come on, admire. They're so cute. They're so wonderful. Yes, they are. But here's my point. You're familiar with these, this concept, right? Where they, and you see this at zoos and other places where you can go, and they have a picture of something, in this case, a school bus. And they have a cutout where you, as a child, and sometimes adults, can put your face in that cutout, and then they take a picture, and it's, it's almost as if you're the thing that's the picture. 
Now you look like you're, you know, it's Abraham Lincoln's face and Abraham, or your face in Abraham Lincoln's body. Or in this case, my girls had a sense that they were on the school bus, okay? Now it's pretend, but they're, they're kind of on the school bus. Okay, now please take that photo down. No one's looking at me. I would like you to understand union with Christ. I'd like for you to imagine like a 3D hologram, high definition picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. Only there's a cutout of his face. And you, by faith, placing your face in that hole as if you were on the cross with him, as if you were identifying with Jesus on the cross. Think of union with Christ as that, because that's what it is. I mean, literally, the Greek word here in the Romans is that we are co-crucified with Jesus. It's used of the thieves as they were crucified with Jesus. We are co-crucified with Jesus. When he was on that cross spiritually, in the eyes of God, in the power of God, we were there with him. And because of that death, the bodily death of Jesus, we died with him to sin's dominance in our life and sin's purposes being our main purpose in our life. And through union with Christ, when he came out of that grave, we came out with him. We, from that point on, alive to God. Now I suspect there's many people here who don't think about it this way. In fact, I heard a a pastor who described pastoral ministry as this, convincing those under the dominion of sin that they are under the dominion of sin. And convincing those who are no longer under the dominion of sin that they are no longer under the dominion of sin. In other words, convincing sinners that they need the gospel, they need Christ, and convincing Christians that they don't have to live in the old way anymore, that there's a new way, a newness of life, a power through Christ to overcome the old ways and the old thinking and the old sins. Yes, justification removes penalty of sin. But what God, God is not content to just declare us righteous. He wants to make us righteous in the way that we live, in the way that we think, in the way that we speak, in the way that we relate with other people. Our whole entire lives to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Romans 8 coming up. That's what God is doing. And for us to see salvation, part of it being God's grace and mercy to help us overcome the enslavement to the things that were destroying our life prior to Christ. Or to say it this way, Christian, do you realize that if you have a besetting sin, if you have a habitual sin, you are continuing in that sin by your choice. You are not a victim. There is a power by the Holy Spirit within you that by God's design is there to help you overcome that whole way of living and thinking. You're not enslaved to it anymore. You're dead to it. The unbeliever is not that. The unbeliever is enslaved to the sin. They are alive to the sin. They're dead to God. And so they, like Pigs in mud can try to clean themselves up, but their very nature is to be in the mud. Plah, there they go again. 
But the Christian's nature is not bound by that enslavement anymore because of Jesus. He that has a son has life. I have come into this world that you may have life and life more abundantly. He has come into this world to free us from all of that baggage and all of the pain and all of the apart from God living to something. We don't have to sin anymore. Again, Christian, there is no sin that you are currently frustrated with, giving into, that you have to give into. You don't have to give into it. Now, it may feel to you like there's no way that you can overcome it, but if you're a Christian, you are dead to sin as your master. That's a statement of fact. And there's a new freedom in Christ. And so I want you to realize that what God is doing here, he's not merely saving us from something. He is saving us to something. He is saving us from sin, but it's not merely sort of neutral. He's saving us to a new life. He is saving us to a new way of thinking. He is saving us to an entirely new set of priorities and motivations and values and a whole new experience that we can have in Christ that is utterly different than the old way when I was alive to sin and dead to God. This is what Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. New life. Here's J.C. Ryle. To be born again is, as it were, to enter upon a new existence, to have a new mind, a new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likings, new dislikings, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love to things once hated, new hatred to things once loved, new thoughts of God and ourselves and the world and the life to come and salvation. Sounds great, doesn't it? Are you with me? Who doesn't want the new, right? Out with the old, in with the new, new creations in Christ. Which leads me to zombies. Never thought I'd state that sentence. <laughs> leads us to zombies, of course it does. Now how do zombies relate to what Paul is talking about here? I think zombies are a picture of the corrupting of what Paul is saying here. As an unbeliever, we are alive to sin, dead to God. As a Christian, we are dead to sin and alive to God. But what do you say about all these people who say that they are alive to God, but their lives shout that they're alive to sin? They're not, they're, they're, they're not one or the other. They're sort of like zombies in between. Now remember, Paul is addressing here this basic question. We started at the end of chapter 5, beginning of chapter 6. Can a Christian glorify God by sinning a lot that God's grace might cover it? What a great plan. Let's go sin. Let's go enjoy it because God is glorified in our sin. And Paul is still trying to say, that is not at all what I'm saying, and that is not the Christian teaching. Is it possible to be alive to God and remain also alive to sin as my master? Now let me make something clear. Do Christians sin? Answer class, yes. Okay, yes. We sin. I'm not talking about some sort of perfectionism, sort of utopic thing where we're, none of us sin, we're all perfect. No, no, no. Okay, we're not talking about that at all. In fact, I would say, as a Christian, the struggle with sin is greater 
than it was when you're an unbeliever. When you're an unbeliever, the struggle with sin is like playing tug of war with yourself, okay? There's no opponent. All you do is just pull across the line, okay? That's not a tug of war. But when you become a Christian, now there's this other power instead of desires, and now there's actually a struggle. So don't come to Jesus thinking my struggle with sin will be over. In some ways, it's worse now as a Christian because you realize the depth of the grip of sin in your life. So we're not talking about that. But salvation is the removal of sin as the master of my life. Think that cutout of the crucifixion and your face being in there. Because when Jesus died for my sin, I died to my sin, which means that now I am alive to God. So what do we say to people that say, I'm alive to God, but I'm pretty much living like I'm alive to sin? This is what I call zombies. These are spiritual zombies. Dead, yet claiming somehow to be kind of alive at the same time. Here's what we say about them. They are actually, they're either actually uh, not alive to God, or if they are, there is a serious misunderstanding of the grace of God and what it means to live as a Christian. Okay? Friends, grace is not permission to sin. Grace is permission and power not to sin. Titus 2, the grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly lusts. So what I'm saying is this, is if you look at your life and it's like, man, I'm living in zombie land. I'm a zombie in zombie land. You are not experiencing the freedom from sin that Jesus intended and you are not experiencing alive to God. It's like the, you're getting the worst of both worlds. Being a zombie is better to be dead or alive than to be a zombie in between because you're getting nothing good out of that. Perhaps somehow you've been confused as to what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you are a Christian, but you are living in a kind of habitual besetting sin. In either case, the solution is the same. It's called repentance. Repent. Take that sin, say to God, I acknowledge it as sin, I own it, I am not a victim, I have violated your will and your law, and I repent. And repentance is literally a 180, I was living this way and now I'm living this way. It is to turn away from sin and to turn to God, to be dead to that sin, to be alive to God. And I say this because there's, there's this quiet sort of antinomianism that lurks in the church where we all sort of like, hey, we're saved by grace. And that means that when I sin, it's like no big deal. It doesn't matter. Hey, we're going to heaven anyway, so big whoop. God doesn't care. Friends, God does care. This is not what God is wanting in our life. This is not what God is doing in our life. My whole posture towards sin, even when I do sin, is different I'm the, I want to be the tax collector in the temple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you hear this with people sometimes. They claim to be Christians, and, and they talk about, like, before they were a Christian, or if you meet them, you say, hey, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, man, I'm a Christian. Really, tell me about that. Like, how did God work in your life? And, he, and, they, and they go like, oh, man, you should have known me back in the day, man. The parties were awesome. They were like, wild, so wild, man. I went to those things, and we did this, and we did that. And I got so wasted, and I said to my dudes, I said, bro. They said, bro, and oh, it was crazy. Oh, man, those were the days. I can't even, whoo, I can't even talk about it. It's like, 
Wow. And then I came to Jesus. And it's been pretty much boring. And you get a sense that they sort of miss the good old days. And Israel missed Egypt. Now, nobody says it that blatantly. I kind of overplayed that a little, as you could tell. But when our posture towards sin, even our old sinful self, is a far cry from that tax collector saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What does it look like to be alive to God and dead to sin? It's to be in the corner of the temple, not looking around at everybody else, thinking you're better than everybody else, but to look inward and to say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's even as Christians, right? Even as Christians, the sins that we continue to struggle with, to look at them, not in a sort of like delighting in, yeah, man, it's great, but a sorrow. I wish that I didn't sin. I would hope that every Christian here, as you sit here today, you wish that you would never sin again. Why? Because I'm dead to sin. I want to live alive to God. And I don't want anybody to hear the old story, you know, I went to church today, what was the sermon about sin? What was the point? Don't do it. The gospel is not moral therapy. The gospel is transformation transformation through Jesus and the power, not my power, the power of God in me, the life of Christ in me, the Holy Spirit in me, doing something in me I couldn't do myself, making me alive. And now from this point on, his work in my life to set me free from all the things that marked my old life. For me now, not to treasure my sin, but to treasure purity to not treasure, you know, the delighting of the, of the temporary pleasures of sin, but delighting in the eternal glory of God and living consistent with that. Delighting in the pleasure of God and pleasing him and the purposes of my life and grieving over my failures but receiving grace for those and living in a kind of new way, so different than the old way. Why do I do that? Because I'm dead to sin and alive to God. And I give praise to God for it. So which are you today? What did your life resemble? Unbeliever, come to faith in Christ. Find a newness of life. Zombie land, repent. Christian, dead to sin, alive to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Jesus.